Welcome to the Repairing the Wreckage of the Past, Making Amends, Steps 8 and 9 workshop meeting. Workshop meeting. My name is Sharon. I am a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi, everyone. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please make sure. This, ses this session is being taped. All participants are required to sign the release form, which everyone's already done. Thank you. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs are requested to speak on their recovery in the OA program alone. An Ask It basket will be circulated for the question and answer portion of this session. And I thought I would do it, you know, at the end of our second speaker, get it started. If there is any press in this room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures, using a video camera, or using our full names. The format for this session is as follows. Three speakers will share for 20 minutes each, followed by questions and answers. An Ask It basket will be passed around. Please place your questions in the box for our panelists. The topic for this session is repairing the wreckage of the past, making amends, steps eight and nine. Our first speaker is Catherine. Yay. Good morning, everybody. My name is Catherine W., and I'm a compulsive eater bulimic and recovering one day at a time. Hi. I'm going to pass around. These are before and after pictures, and I'll pass these around. So I just need to preface this by saying that I am so nervous because I've never done this before. I've spoken, but never at a convention. And um, I have to, uh, spoken at a marathon meeting. And I didn't anticipate speaking here until about a week and a half ago when someone asked me to do that. And, of course, I said, of course I'll do that. Because my ego a long time ago was wondering, why did they never ask me to, before to do that? And and now I'm up here, and it's it's a challenge. So, But that's what we do. We suit up and show up and... Um, when we're asked to do service. So that's what I'm doing, and it's a good experience for me. And I kind of I, I thought, well, gosh darn it, I wish I would have taken one of those public speaking classes. Or uh, my friend kept trying to get me into one, and that's not what this is about. It's about sharing my experience, strength, and hope. It, I don't have to um, be a public speaker. I don't, 
I just do the best I can. So that's what I'm going to try to do today. And this is a great experience, and I can't think of a better group of people to do that with because I feel really safe here. Um, so when I think of, um, I'll qualify. In 1979 was the first time I walked into an OA meeting. I was really grateful because as a 19-year-old, I had suffered from compulsive eating, and I thought I was all alone in my disease. And it was so refreshing to walk into a room and know I wasn't alone, that I, this secret, uh, I could, other people did this too. It wasn't just me. And that was way before they had all of the research and terms and things they have for eating disorders now. I came and went, and I tried different things. Um, and I'm currently celebrating 13 years of back-to-back -back abstinence from compulsive eating and bulimia. I'm grateful for that. I was thinking this morning, people will ask, like, what what clicked? What made you get abstinent or what? And this morning, it just kind of was like a little epiphany. It was because it became the most important thing in my life. And I really know this, is for me, is life or death. And I take it that seriously. I look at it as food sobriety from my, so compulsive eating and my bulimia, I look at that. So my foods and my food behaviors, primarily sugary stuff. And I've kept maintained, and I wasn't at my highest weight when I started my last abstinence, because I did have abstinence uh, before that. So right now I'm about 55, 60 pounds less than I was at my highest weight, and I'm, and that's a God thing. It's all a God thing. I feel like it's a blessing. I mean, it is. I know it wasn't me. It was. It's a higher power. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, so I, I also believe that working the steps, it's it's live or die emotionally, physically, and spiritually for me. That's how I look at my uh, recovery. So when I think of step eight and nine, the first time I did them, it was um, what helped me was to know when I was doing step eight, I thought, I know my higher power is going to help me with step nine, and I could trust that. So I tried to sort of, I tried to separate them so I didn't think too much about, oh my gosh, how am I going to make these amends? Just make my list. And my list included people going back from elementary school to uh, family, friends, institutions, and that would um, include, I guess I'd call that like schools, places where I was part of uh, a team selling candy or something, and I would eat my candy and then lie and say it got stolen or something, and so suddenly I didn't have all the money I needed to pay for the candy, um, that kind of thing. So, so, so it was people, places, institutions. And um, the one I on that list I really didn't make amends to was me. So that comes later. And these amends were, I, I almost call them more of rest, uh, restitution, apology. When I think of amend... I think of change. And when I first did my amends, it was about sending money to people I owed money to. I remember when I was a teenager, I didn't, I wasn't the type of person who shoplifted all the time, but I wanted to go swimming. I didn't have a bathing suit, so I went in and got one. And so 
when I made my amends, they say in the big book, you know, to be really direct and really honest and forthright. But I also have to say I did it the best I could, which 20 years later, are they going to come arrest me? Probably not. But I did it anonymously. I sent some money and hope it went to the right place. And other, uh, and I have a huge list of am- people to make amends to that I don't know if I'll ever find them. Uh, one, w- again, was when I was a young girl. There was this student who, she always got all the A's. She was just brilliant and bright and got the A's. And so I had the opportunity to help the teacher correct the papers, me, myself, and another person. So I went ahead and I um, changed, we changed some of her answers so she didn't get an A. And you know, um, that kind of stuff that maybe someday I'll have an opportunity to make amends for. And then other amends, um, I had to do a little more when it says not to injure us or other people. There was a time when I went to a, um, it was a professional convention. And I have to say, I do have other parts of my story are not just food, it's other things. And I was under the influence and um, wasn't compulsive eating that day. But so I, my behavior was really inappropriate. And I I knew some people it directly affected, and I didn't know about did it affect these other people at this professional convention I was at. It was it was through work. So when I had an opportunity to make amends, what I did was I, um, when we had a staff meeting, I, I made more of a direct amends, I mean an indirect amends in, in the sense that I wasn't sure who saw what I did or how it affected people, but I just said, you know, I did some really inappropriate behaviors, and I, I just apologize if that affected people in my relationships with all of you. And that was the best way I knew how to do it without bringing personalities into it. And I, and that was also to um, kind of the way I did it to, because I was married at the time, and kind of way that I did it to my ex husband. I didn't have to go into details that would hurt him or again somebody else. I just said I in our relationship I did some things that I really feel really bad about and I'm I'm sorry. And there were some I could make directly to him like the screaming and the yelling I did because I'd be like quiet and then I'd blow up and scream and yell or the time I got his boss on the phone and was swearing at him because he was taking advantage of my husband. I mean, some of the stuff I did was, was pretty nutso. Uh, and I wasn't necessarily in my food at that moment, but it isn't just about what I'm doing when I'm in the food. It, it was about what it affects so, gosh, so many things in my life. I, I think of my daughter and, and how am I doing? Am I okay? I'm good. Okay. I, I was thinking of my daughter and I was thinking about, um, like different times being a compulsive eater and how I'd, we'd, we'd go out and I'd say, okay, let's go get some dessert and you get yours and I'll get mine instead of let's get one and share it. Because I knew I, I was going to eat all of mine and some of hers. And so that like e- introducing that eating disorder behavior to her, stealing her food and then replacing it. Um, and, um, other, um, the times I would neglect her, like dismiss her behavior because it was easier just, okay, honey, whatever, whatever. So I could go off by myself and eat. And so my parenting skills, it affected my parenting skills and it affected 
choices I made about after being divorced, having um, men in my life and having in two different occasions, those became long-term partners and having to move in and how that affected her and where did she fit in the picture. So I, or not showing up for events for her or showing up, but not really showing up, you know, in my, not showing up physically, but not emotionally or near the end of my compulsive eating thinking, okay, I'll get there. She was a cheerleader. It was like, okay, I'll get there before the game to watch. Of course, she didn't want me to say or act or, you, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't be myself. You know, she's a teenager. She's really uncomfortable. And I'm rationalizing, oh, she doesn't really want me there. She wants me there. But she doesn't want me to, to you know, I have to stand and not respond or not cheer or anything because she's embarrassed or whatever. But she wants me there. And not showing up because I was busy compulsively eating and purging. And then, well, I'll get there in the, at the first quarter. And then I'll get there at the half. And I get there at the half. And then it, it's just the crazy behavior I did or not showing up showing up late from work, that kind of thing. So those kind of amends, um, I made amends to her. And the, the thing that I, that I have to say about amends and changing behavior is it's about changing behavior. And it's also about doing it with some dignity and integrity. But then I kept letting her get away as an adult with abusive behavior and talk toward me into her 20s as a married woman with children talking to me, her, you know, this mature woman, because of what I did that I already made amends for when she was a teenager or a young girl. And so I finally had to, like, separate the two. Look, if you want, I'll go with you to counseling. I'll go to you with therapy. I'll pay for it. But this is not acceptable anymore. It's not okay to rant and rave and scream and yell and go off the handle and and that type of thing with me. And I learned to set some boundaries around that. So I think that's really important to learn about this, the eighth and ninth step for me. Um, when I, when I, um, was told I was going to speak on this, it was like, Oh, really? What am I going to say? And, Oh, it's kind of boring, but the steps are the program and I work them and that's how I stay abstinent. And I was reading, kind of reading things over before I had the opportunity to come here today. And it talked about relationships. So I'm learning new relationship skills by doing this. I'm learning about um, myself. I'm learning how to interact with people in a healthy way, how to act, not react, how to apologize, but how to change my behavior and how to say, um, to separate me from my behavior as well. Because what this, I, when, when I, I was thinking of the promises and these helped my promises come true. They're coming true. And one of them is about liking myself and these steps besides step, uh, six and seven helped me to like myself because it helped me to forgive myself. I, I went through the steps recently again and just recently eight and nine and um, I had all these people to make amends to, and I thought, and my sponsor, and she talked to her sponsor too. She goes, you know, none of these people you need to make amends for. These are things you feel guilty about that you did, that you did because you, that's who you were and that's all you knew back then. And you've kind of, it's really about you're changing your behavior 
And the amends you need to make is to yourself. I didn't know how to do that because I thought I did, which was, I said, okay, so I showed up with my amends to my shelter and I said, well, I'm sorry that you did this behavior and you were more promiscuous than you should have been and you did this and you did that. And she goes, no, 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 no. That's not what I mean. She said, amends to yourself is, would you have talked to a child or a little girl the way you talk to yourself? You're stupid. You're not smart enough. Look at you. Look at the behavior you do. Why did you do that? Why did your marriage fail? Why did you make some of the choices you made? You're you're not intelligent enough. You, um, I can't believe you treated people that. That's how I talk to myself. And she said it's about amends to you for how you abused and treated yourself. And the, and not having compassion and love for yourself, so I just recently did that one, and that that that's helped me move forward in my recovery. Most of my, I would say that the promises of the program, which they say will happen after step step nine, to me it says sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. I I didn't have a big revelation or epiphany after step nine, uh, and some of the amends I had to make. What I had to do some really scary stuff. I had to call up an employer. I kept trying to get a hold of him directly. It didn't work. So I called him up and I said, look, I'm really sorry because there's times I didn't show up for work because I had, and I, and he didn't know I was compulsive eater, right? So I had to say, because I compulsively ate, I didn't show up for work because I had a food hangover and I'm sorry. And can I make that up to you by doing a free day, some free work for you? And he's, and he kind of like, all this stuff that built up to me doing this, he just blew it off and like, oh, don't worry about it. And I, I don't know that he heard anything. Um, so, but I made my amends and I kept, I cleaned up my part of, of the whole deal. Um, now, now what happens is um, when I look at the big book and I look at, okay, about forgiveness, because to make an amend, I kind of really need to forgive the person because I'm going to go in there with the wrong energy and attitude. And um, how I'm working on forgiveness is I do the resentment prayer, and that's in the big book. And that's, um, I wrote it down. It's on, there's some really great stuff stuff in the big book. Uh, let me see if I can get it here on the fourth edition. Um, well, there's one on resentments and there's one on acceptance, and those help me in my recovery quite a bit. I'll I'll just share a couple of uh, just one more recent. Oh, here it is in the here I had it here. Okay, page four fourteen in the fourth edition of the Big Book. The person talks about acceptance, accepting everything and everybody is exactly how they're supposed to be and how I'm supposed to be. And the resentment prayer is one, you say it for someone even if you don't mean it. What's really cool is recently I was saying it and I go, oh, I really need to pray for them too because it's about their happiness, peace, prosperity, health. And even if I'm not, um, even if I really don't, at first, I'm like, well, I really don't want them to be prosperous or happy. They're, they're jerks, you know. Why would I want to pray for that person for that? And then it got to, wow, I really have compassion for them. And I, as I have compassion for myself, I want to pray. I really, I want to really pray for them and then pray this other part. So that, that's um, helped me. So, so this is a, a, a recent one. I have a, 
I'm living in a roommate situation, and of course I want to be the perfect tenant and everything. And my, the person I'm, I'm living with, she has a, um, um, she's in 12 step, and I thought, oh, and we, we get along great. We're in a similar profession. And I just felt like we have this really great straight up communication. And, and I'll say, you know, if there's anything I'm doing, let me know, because I might not be aware of it, because I want to be the perfect roommate and all that stuff dishes and all the whole thing. And um, she said, sure, sure. Well, I noticed this oil pan out in front of the driveway. And I said, oh, I, I noticed this oil pan out in front of the driveway. Do you want me to put it in for you? Because she, she's like kind of a clean, neat person. And I thought her boyfriend left it out there. She goes, oh, sure. So I put it away. And then a, a few, a week later or so, I saw it out there again. And I go, oh, I see, you know, and I just put it away. And then I saw it out there again. And it was toward where I keep my car. And meanwhile, I had been having a problem with my car and a little oil thing going on. But it wasn't leaking that I knew. It was just like my mechanic noticed it. Just It was like something going on with some sort of a few pump. And it was like a, leaking, a valve leaking a little bit. It wasn't dripping or anything, so I thought. So I noticed it out there again. And, and I go, you know, I, do you... Is there a problem? Is there a reason this is out here? Because it, it's right under where I would park my car. And she said, well, I didn't want to tell you, but your your car's leaking oil. There's an oil drip. And I, did, I didn't want to hurt your feelings because I didn't want, maybe you don't care about your car or I would be telling you what to do or whatever. So we kind of laughed about it and I explained my car thing and I said I had no idea it was true dripping oil. I would never would want my car dripping oil. And I, and I'd appreciate if you, if you ever notice something I, that you tell me, so I get it fixed. And if I don't know about it and also that I don't want to damage your driveway and should I clean whatever. So we laughed and I hugged her and all that. And I knew it was going to bug me after a while. Cause that's what happens. I don't feel anything. And then later on and that, and I go, dang it, I know this is going to bug me later. And sure enough, that night I'm laying in bed and I'm like, you know, this really pisses me off. She, because we're supposed to have this great communication and I feel really comfortable with her. Now I have a wall up because I'm afraid I'm doing other things that she's not telling me about. And gosh, if, if I notice something wrong with her car, I, or she knows, I hope she tells me because I don't want to drive around with something wrong with my car. So I had to go through all those feelings and then I thought, should I talk to her about it? And I just sat there and I go, you know, she made amends. She was in fear and I have to have some compassion and love for that. And that helps me to have compassion and love for myself. So that was kind of a, a, a good little thing. And I'll just wrap it up by saying how I feel about my program. Um, it's, it's, it's always going to be about me, my, res my behavior, my response. And this is the, it's a process and it's ongoing and it doesn't change. And my amends look way different than the kind of amends I made on my first, uh, my first eight, nine step. Um, and then I just need to say about recovery. I know I need to be abstinent to work the steps in my recovery because I, it's either that or I'm using food or something. And I need the steps to stay abstinent. So thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Our next speaker is David.
Hi, I'm David, compulsive overeater. And uh, I appreciate Nancy asking me to share on this uh, panel. And when she told me what the topic and this is what was available, I said, oh, shit. (laughs) It's not what I, it's not one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, But how my life works today is when I'm asked to do something and it's a Appropriate. I don't have a, a, a legitimate reason to say no. I say yes to service, and I say yes to life. And and then I see what the there's always a reason. That's how what program has given me, and um, what I need to hear for myself. Uh, there's a reason I'm in the room today. Um, I'll real quickly uh, tell you a little bit about my background. Um, and then it'll make more sense with this step and how, how I work it. Um, I've been a compulsive overeater my entire life. I can only remember being fat, feeling fat, stupid, ugly, all the things that I think, for me at least, with this disease goes more than other diseases, that from the time we're so young, at least my experience and the people who have a similar background to me, just it, it starts so young. You know, other diseases start later, but with our disease and with mine, it just started, it, it always was there. And, and it was always that learning to blame myself for all the problems in the world, but in a way of that victim mentality that I had. And um, I knew everybody hated me. Nobody wanted to be my friend. And I had the kind of... Um, Typical for compulsive readers, just that I, the life of isolation. My thing was, you know, barely making it to school. So many times I would be uh, sick f- physically or mentally where I couldn't go to school or I couldn't get up in the morning. I'd always be late. Uh, hated to go to school. You know, the last one chosen for all the teams and sports. Always, you know, everybody, especially elementary school and middle school being elementary the most, being picked on and called names. And so I hated to even get up out of bed. It was so difficult. And and then I stayed in my little cocoon, and I'd come home, and I never did homework or anything. It was just watch TV, eat, do jigsaw puzzles. And it was all about isolation and, and really addicted. Thank God we didn't have, when I was growing up, we didn't have a million channels. Uh, but whatever we had, I had to watch. And, you know, there was no recording TV shows, so I had to watch, I had my favorite TV shows, and I had to watch them. And, and I'd have to eat. And I'm seeing, you know, this is maybe part of who I am, but the head is always going. After, after 38 years I've been coming to OA, the head is still goes. You know, it's just, um, and so the food though was when I was a kid uh, growing up as a compulsive overeater that fixed the head that stopped it or it tried to stop it um, and you know I became probably about I, I never know exactly because again I was I came into OA I was in high school but my heaviest I was probably between 60 or maybe 80 pounds overweight as a kid I weighed much more than I do now, and wore men's, at 10 years old, I was wearing men's husky sizes. I was really, really, became a real um, obese kid, and and hated everything, hated uh, my life. 
my mom started coming to OA. One of her friends, who they had done all kinds of diets together and all this stuff, came to OA in 1973. Yeah, in 1973. And she, my mom dragged me to a few meetings. But when I heard God, because I didn't believe in any higher power, I was brought up Jewish, but it was a cultural thing. And... Um, there just couldn't be a God. If you know, my my uh, dad's most of my dad's family was killed killed in the Holocaust, and it was like, how could there be? If that happened, how could there be a God? That was it was so easy, easily to uh, rationale that way, and and life is just chaotic, and and especially I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and, you know, there's going to be a nuclear war any minute now and we're all going to die, and so might as well just, the food, just eat for today, you know, and just calm, just calm that that hole inside. Um, Anyway, and so when my mom came to OA and I heard about God, a higher power, that just disgusted me. And all of a sudden my mother, who had never been religious or spiritual or anything, God this and higher power that and, just it was disgusting and and then the steps you know i'd heard about the steps and like having to write an inventory and and, and look at your character defects and make them those things just terrified me and um i would never be like my mother i'd never i wouldn't need a way one day i'll get it together one day i'll figure it out if i ever lose weight of course I wouldn't want to eat, right? As soon as you lose weight, that switch would go off that, that I couldn't control food. I was sure it would go off. Um, I never lost more than, you know, maybe 20 pounds at most ever. And, and most diets, you know, one or two days, and it would be the, the strictest diet. And as soon as I'd have one thing off my diet, I would just, ah, oh, and then eat everything I wanted. Um, it was my release valve. It was like as soon as, you, you know... Um, so that's how it was. And so I didn't want um, to have anything to do with OA. And my mother mostly used OA as a diet club, I would say. Um, in a social club, she made a lot of friends. She started believing in God. She, you know, would have like maybe a month of, of she'd be on a food plan. And uh, it never, she never got that active, that involved, um, and she stopped coming for a while. And then in 1976, she went to a World Service convention, reconnected with some friends, and she just got really into OA for a while. And she told me about a teen meeting, and she said one of her friends, their son was going to go too. Would I go? It was on Wednesday nights. And it was, and that was June 1976. And that's when I count. I've never stopped coming to OA since I went to that teen meeting. I didn't think I was joining OA. It was, it was not like the format, like regular meetings. It was more like group therapy. We just sat. It was like, or like fellowship, I would say now is. But it was a meeting. There was an adult leader. There were six um, teens at the time I went. And, you know, it was sort of easy. It was the summer, so the, it was repeat season on TV. And, um <laughs> I was. I had a job. I was a babysitter um, for these three kids, and I'm going to be really active because I'm going to chase them around and keep them busy. So, I, of course, you won't. And I'm in somebody else's house. I won't eat their food. And you know, within a few weeks, I was eating their food, letting the boys do what they wanted, and just sitting around. You know, so um, that's how I started away. I, uh, the person who was leading the meeting, this adult 
months, months later, I was, I was starting high school and really thought this is the last chance to change my life. And he, the, the guy at that meeting said, why don't you start calling in your food? That was about October 1976, and that's when I date my absence. It wasn't – I didn't go on a food plan. I didn't stop eating any particular foods, but I started calling in every day what I was going to eat. And, you know, I went about a year and a half of doing that – not calling in all the time, but starting to eat in that disciplined manner before I even said, you know, this is my abstinence, uh, because it wasn't a food plan. Um, and it wasn't the way I heard other people doing things, but it started working, and I started losing weight. And um, about a year later, I, uh, the, the guy who was the sponsor of that meeting, I asked him to be my sponsor, and he had me write an inventory. And... and uh, you know, I was 16 at the time, by then, and I'm writing this inventory, and this guy was in OA and AA, and it was called, I think, A Poor Guide, and it was really tough, and it was about the inventory, you know, the questions, a 16-year-old, especially in my disease, you know, the only thing I ever stole was, you know, taking candy, you know, from the bins at stores, or one time I stole cards, uh, some magic cards from uh, the thrifties, and my dad made me go back when he caught me and return it. I, I didn't have any big things or, you know, um, but I had to write this intense inventory, and it took months and months and months, and it was really tough, and it was something I would never do. I, I You know, I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to do away like I heard my mom and her friends and wasn't going to believe in a higher power. And Anyway, um, my life started changing after a year in OA. I, all of a sudden, I had friends. I started going to meetings. We started a second team meeting, and I got involved in service. I got involved in the Los Angeles Intergroup. Um, I got asked to be on the board, and my life started changing. Where one day I was driving to a meeting with with some OA friends that we had made, and everybody was talking about how their life had changed over the last year, and that was my spiritual experience. There had to be a higher power. My life couldn't – it so dramatically changed in a one-year period um, that there was a force in this world or some kind of God that I never – you know, there had to be. And it wasn't because somebody told me. It wasn't because I went to a synagogue and I heard a rabbi tell me. It was because I experienced – it was experience. It wasn't uh, intellect. And uh, anyway – after I did the inventory, my sponsor, you know, had me come up with character defects and, and, and then also uh, people I needed to make amends to. And it was really – and that's why I hate talking on this uh, type of step. At, by then when I was 17, it was no major things. I didn't have a lot of dramatic things, you know. Um, it was mainly my parents – that I owed a lot of amends to. And at that point, our relationship, youth, well, I was a teenager, didn't realize it was getting worse in a way, not better, you know? And I thought they were so, I thought they were idiots because I wanted, I wanted them, I'm going to OA. I was going to about five meetings a week by that time. And it's like, you, if you have somewhere to go, I don't get to drive your car. I'm going to an OA meeting, and you're not going to let me have your car? I mean, like, what is this? You know, and that was my attitude. Uh, and now I have teenagers, and I know where that comes from. Uh, OA did, wouldn't, wasn't strong enough to cure it. But, but anyway, um, it was really rough. And, but so my amends, 
became a lot of the amends was starting to change my behavior to my parents and to my brother. And, um, and a lot of it I couldn't start doing. It took, and I do everything in this program, everything in my life is slow but steady. And that's another thing because of OA. If I, couldn't, you know, if I couldn't go on a diet and lose 10 pounds by tomorrow, why do it? And if you, if you don't exercise for two hours a day and, be, and look like a bodybuilder, why even go to the gym? I don't get it. You know, that, that's, my adi- that's still how, what my head says. But program after all these years, it's, it's about steady progress. And with my parents, it didn't really start for a while, a long time after my inventory. I moved out when I was exactly 18 years old. And it was, the first immense was like to my father, who we hardly talked because we were so politically on different spectrums and life and everything. And I remember, I don't know if it was sponsor, how it came. I said, I'll just go to dinner with him. That was my immense. Like, I'll just go have a meal, just me and my dad. I will invite him to dinner. Because it was so, it was by a lot of my... um, Things I owed amends was by omission, by isolating, by not talking, you know, by, by the way I was living. And so I went to dinner with my dad. And we talked, and there were things we didn't agree. You know, when I went to OA, the, I remember him driving me to a meeting when I was new. And he said, well, what do you do at those meetings? And I said, well, we talk about our feelings so we don't have to eat over them. And he goes, you, or, or problems. I didn't say feelings, problems. And he goes, you have problems? And that was... So that was meant I could never talk to my dad, you know. That, but that was really what he had been through in his life. Um, and the, he had, after the Holocaust being liberated, he went to Israel and fought in two wars. And there was just so much stuff in his life, uh, what he had done, that I knew when he said, you have problems, I knew what he meant. And so I could never go to him. I could never have a relationship with him. Anyway, that dinner and then slowly... I built a relationship with my dad over time. And then with my mother, who was crazy, into her disease most of the time, diabetic, and when she would eat crazy, the blood sugar levels, it was really hard. And I slowly worked on a relationship with my mother. And not when she was crazy, not being crazy also, you know. And and, um, I started going to my parents once a week to have dinner with them on Sundays, you know, and then I went on vacation and offered my parents to come with me, you know. Um, and they both passed away. It's been, my mother, it's like 18 years now or something like that. Uh, and before they passed, and because of program, those life amends, we became close and we had a great relationship. When my dad died, he had cancer, and we found out eight days before he died, um, he had lung cancer, and he didn't get diagnosed. And it was really tough because there was no chance to say goodbye. There was no I, – I didn't have any amends left. I was only – and I'm still sad. Uh, he missed – he only got a year with my kids and never got to see my brother's kids. But there was – it's sadness because I miss him, but not because, because my life amends. It had changed um, so much. Um, with my brother, you know, we, we had our ups and downs. We're now really close and our kids are very close. And, um, there were incidents because of OA, I could see my part because me and my brother too, before had really a horrible relationship and I could start to 
later when I would do 10 steps and see my part in my brother, and there were things that he did or his ex-wife did to me, and I could um, deal with them and then, and then change my behavior and say, I'm sorry, I did this. This is my part. And, and that was such a wonderful thing um, because... Like I said, today we're, we're close also, and that was something. He was five years younger than me. I treated him like I was responsible for him growing up. So I treated him like a baby and not like a brother, you know, and I treated him like I was his third parent. And today I don't do it. You know, I have an aunt uh, uh, in my life who likes to tell me what to do and how to live, and she cuts out newspaper articles for me. Like I don't know... You know, my children, what I should do, what I should eat, what medical tests I should take, how I should exercise. Yet she's so dysfunctional. She lives in a hotel. She can't. Her house is falling apart, and she doesn't do any of the stuff she tells me to do. Uh, anyway, she's always saying, David, you've got to talk to your brother. You've got to tell Larry to do this or that. Or he's got to, you know, why isn't he really divorced? Why is he just separated? Why is he this? Why? And, and, and I get to say, you know, what I've, the men, I don't want to make more. That's why. I have very few nowadays amends because I just don't want to make more. I don't want to make mistakes. The head still says I want to tell my brother what to do, and I agree with her, uh, my aunt, you know, but I don't. I, I just don't do that anymore. Um, that's my part, and it's his life, and I let him live his life. And if he asks, I do tell him my opinion when he asks, um, and, and and that's why we get a we have a great relationship. Um, Something happened. Me and my wife got into a fight a few weeks ago, and there was some stuff that I felt, and I it was justifiable anger, you know, and resentment, and um, and I really didn't talk a lot about it with her. I was just we had this fight and this stuff, and I did a ten step. I knew before I could call my sponsor, I really I needed to do a ten step on this stuff, and my I hate writing too. Um, except when things get really bad and the feelings were really bad. And I wrote a 10-step, and things came up in it about my character defects and what I had done, my part. And afterwards, we, we wound up talking, um, and I was able to get mad at her and tell her why I was mad at her and realize as I was doing it, that was, it was because of the 10 step, that was an immense, even telling her, you did this wrong, this is why I feel, because I could see my part. When I was still, and what I was into, part of what, I'll, I won't go into too much detail, but part of it, I was feeling sorry for myself, and I loved that feeling. And, and I was letting it fester, instead of just speaking up and saying, this, I don't like what happened, and this isn't right, and, and, and all of a sudden, when I was, got that out, and 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 getting angry was part of the amends because I wasn't being real. And it really, and I saw, you know, all of a sudden after that, I, you know, all of a sudden things got along so much better between us after, after that that I thought it could never happen. I mean, because things, I was so mad when I was in that thing, you know, everything's going to fall apart. Um, and, and so I see it's continual. It's with my parents. My sponsor said, you know, now that I've got my kids are about to, I have twins, they're about to be 17 soon. And my sponsor, you know, I say, I wish I could make more amends to my parents because now I see it from their point of view. 
And he said, you know, you can. You can we'll write a letter and you can give it away. And so that's something I'm waiting for the next round in my recovery um, to work on. Uh, but I do things different, too, with, with my kids. And I'll, I'll end with this. You know, that the way I take care of them. I'd say that I'd never do what my parents do. Well, I, I've yelled at my kids. I've used food. If you go come with me, I'll take you out to lunch. I mean, I've done things that I said I would never do. But I take them places. I'm physical with them. My kids go with me to the gym. We go hiking, biking, things that as a compulsive overeater, I would never. And, and the other thing, and also to my body, you know, I'm 53 years old and I'm healthier than when I was a teenager because slowly I've, I don't do two hours in the gym. I do 40 minutes. I do 20 minutes sometimes if I, that's all I can do. I take a walk for 15, but I do things. I eat healthy. My parents would be so proud. You know, I never ate vegetables and now I do things. I take vitamins. And it's all, to me, part of my program. It's part of healing myself, making amends to my body, to my soul, to the people around me. So uh, I'm grateful uh, that you all listen to me and just keep coming back. Thank you. David, thank you. And the Ask It Basket's going around, so if you can put in some questions so after... Our next speaker will have a chance to have the panel work on the questions. And our third speaker is Ella. Hi, I'm Ella. I'm a compulsive overeater. Can you hear me? Um, Well, when I was asked to speak, and I was asked what I would like to speak on, Um, I said I'd like to speak on steps eight and nine. And um, I didn't put on any mascara because I knew I would cry. And um, I think that one of the things, I think I can say for a fact that uh, steps eight and nine have been the most profound steps for me in terms of changing. And I'll talk a little bit about that. But I thought I would first just uh, start out with something it says in the big book. Um, And I don't know if any of you were at the opening last night, but I really appreciated um, that, that we understand, or I understand, that I do these steps in order not to overeat. And that I'm able to do the steps because I'm not overeating. So that in some way, abstinence is profoundly, for me, connected to every step. And it says on page 76 of the big book, um, and it's about step eight and nine, if we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. Remember, it was agreed at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol, compulsive overeating. And... um, In page 81, 83, it says, the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. And that actually is part of step nine. And so that um, step eight and nine is part of my spiritual awakening. And um, when I looked up, I think it was talked about earlier, the word amend in the dictionary, it means change for the better, improve, 
remove faults and errors, correct, and then, if you're a gardener, enrich the soil. So, in a sense, that thing that we really want to do or that I wanted to do, which is change, is what the steps are asking me to do. In fact, they're asking me to do what I wanted to do all along. It's just that somehow the process of doing it, you know, I wanted to be changed, just like I wanted to stop overeating, but I didn't exactly want to stop eating, if you know what I mean. And um, I was, you know, I was thinking about this, um, you know, um, and I don't know if any of you... um, you, do you see that movie? It was a while ago um, called Rachel Getting Married. Um, and Anne Hathaway is, you know, like she's just come out of rehab. Um, you know, she's totally wrecked havoc. And at her sister's wedding, when she's asked to sort of make a toast or something, she gets up and makes amends to the entire group of people. And you're like, oh, my God. And I had all these friends who weren't in program, and they were thinking this was such a wonderful movie. And I was like, this is disgusting. You know, this gives people a very bad idea of what we're doing here. But in any case, um, well, for people who don't know me, I've been in program since um, 1982, and um, I'm maintaining about a 60 or 70-pound weight loss. And that's a whole other story. It wasn't a simple matter. But um, I know a lot of people, when they started out, a lot of people I've sponsored have said, well, I didn't really do anything, and I don't have anything to make amends about. And fortunately or not, um, ask the other people in my life, I had a lot to make amends about. Like, I came in here with um, a lot of wreckage. And I think that wreckage was based on a tremendous amount of self-centeredness and a tremendous amount of entitlement, Um, you know, because I sort of had a habit of sleeping with people's husbands, and it was based on the idea that, well, I was such a fat girl, and no one wanted to sleep with me, and therefore, I was not only, I was entitled to anything I wanted, and, um, you know, and that was kind of my attitude, and if you can't take the heat, stay out of the kitchen, you know, and I'm from New York, and, you know, just lie down in front of me. And um, I think that overeating allowed me to continue this behavior. I mean, I thought that the difference was it's not like I was a drunk or under the influence and therefore I drove my car into a, into a tree or, you know, knocked through a window at somebody's wedding. It was that by eating, I could not recognize my behavior and that I only ended up feeling bad about eating. So the minute anything happened, I would be eating and I would feel terrible. But I wouldn't know that I had felt terrible about what I did. I mean, it took me a very long time to be able to actually experience the effect of what I did. And, um, you know, and I think I'm sort of looking at how the steps operate and that in the beginning, um, the steps helped me learn about myself. They helped me learn about the disease They helped me learn about being restored to sanity. Um, They helped me become acquainted with myself. And then the purpose of that is not just to, you know, be a friend to me and to understand me and to be able to tell you all about me. It's to then be able to move out into the world. And, um, you know, in the AA 12 and 12, it says, where? 
Um, it is equally necessary that we extricate from our examination of our personal relations every bit of information about ourselves and our fundamental difficulties that we can, since defective relations with other human beings have nearly always been the immediate cause of our woes, including our um, compulsive eating and alcoholism, this field of in- no field of investigation could yield more satisfying and valuable rewards than this one. So in the sense, you know, it, I don't know about you, but it's like I always wanted to have good relationships with people. Like I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be loved. Um, I wanted to be one of those people that, you know, people didn't move to the other side of the room when they saw me coming. Um, but I didn't know how. And um, in a sense, I think that that's the purpose of, you know, six and seven. That's the purpose of eight and nine. So initially, it wasn't that hard for me to make amends because I had a lot of people I had to go to and um, talk to. And, um, but, there were a whole, but those were the obvious ones, the glaring ones. Um, I had been a musician and a performer, and I was kind of hell on wheels if you had to deal with me um, around a performance. I still am not a person who, um, you know, grace under pressure is not a term you would apply to me. And so sometimes I just have to stay out of situations that create a lot of pressure for me because, um, you know, then I have to be calling people up after every interaction and making an amends. But, um, so I could do that, but there was just a host of things that I, did not feel I would ever make amends for. And um, a host of people I would never make amends to because, you know, I just didn't feel they deserved my amends. And so I'm just going to talk about sort of how that process happened. And it says something kind of interesting here in step eight in the OA 12 and 12. I kind of love this. Um, It says... um, It says, in in deciding what names are to appear on the list, we may have some trouble sorting out what actually is harm to another person. Oddly enough, the question of how to identify harm rarely arises when we're remembering the harm done to us. So um, I always think the first question was, one, if I see this person at a party, you know, am I going like that? And two... If I was on the receiving end of this behavior, how would that make me feel? And that took a long time to understand that is to be able to stand back and to see my behavior. And um, and so you know it was it wasn't like going at it with a hammer and saying I must make amends. Like in terms of my um, mother, whom I hated from earliest memory, um, I kind of moved to a level of civility with her. And, you know, that was kind of after steps four and five. But, you know, it was just like, well, keep a safe distance, you know, write a Mother's Day card, uh, don't get too involved here. And something came up, something I had to do in my life, and I was thinking of calling my uncle about it, and this voice said, call your mother. And... um, you know, I mean, I don't know about higher power or whatever, but sometimes the voice comes, and the voice kept on saying, call your mother. So I said, well, all right, already. So I called my mother, 
and um, asked her for some advice. And what I came to understand is that my mother had been waiting all her life for her daughter to ask her for help. And the advice my mother gave me was incredible. It, you know, it enabled me to do something I had been afraid of doing. And um, I then found that when I stopped treating her like this person who was invading my life, it seemed like she wasn't doing it. Um, and, you know, we were, we are, and I can say safely that by the time she died, you know, we loved each other and that I was able to be there for her in a way that, you know, thanks, thanks to this program, I wasn't eating and I was able to be there when my mother died. But I just want to say that I didn't try to have a good relationship with my mother. I didn't go through this program saying, my recovery will only happen when I heal this relationship with my mother. It really, somehow, in the course of life, it happened, and that voice kind of came to me. And so that also began to teach me other things that the program teaches me, which is that what I think and what my experience is are actually not usually the same thing. That, in other words, I might have had an idea about who my mother was, but when I actually, when something enabled me to act differently, she seemed to be another person than the person I thought she was. And just like, you know, I remember when it was first suggested that I weigh and measure my food um, because I wanted to be part of a step study group that required you do that. And I said, look, okay, I won't eat sugar and I won't overeat, but I am not weighing and measuring my food. I am not being like those people. And, but I wanted to be part of this group, so I said, well, all right, whatever. And I, I weigh and measure my food. I mean, you know, I have a little digital scale, and I weigh in grams, because it's just, it's so relieving, and it's so accurate. And um, I don't bring it into a restaurant, it's all right. But um, I just want to say that my, it turned out that it wasn't what I thought it would be. You know, just I'm sure coming in here, I did not think I could be a person who lived without sugar. I didn't think I could be a person who ate a green bean that wasn't drenched in butter. You know, this just didn't occur to me. And the experience is different. So I can't really rely on my assessment of the situation. Anyway, back to steps eight and nine. So the process of, you know, whatever forgiveness is or isn't, came for me when I began to see things differently, which was that I began to see that it wasn't just that I didn't get the mother I wanted, but my mother did not get the daughter she wanted. And that that was, um, you know, she'd had a very, very difficult and painful life, and a lot of things happened. But, you know, that it worked both ways. And um, my mother, my father... Um, committed suicide when I was 11, and my mother remarried pretty soon after to somebody I did not like, and he had three children I did not like, and they did not like me. And, you know, I spent a lot of years, I came into um, OA when I was 40, and um, I spent a lot of years in therapy. I had a lot of agreement on the nature of these people, um, that they were bad, they were abusive, they were evil. Um, I had every right to continue to hate them, you know, until my dying day. And um, 
one day I was walking down the street in New York City, and I cannot explain to you what happened, but it was that I saw myself in that household. I saw that little person that I was, and I thought, geez, they had to live with me. It's not, it's not only that I had to live with them, they had to live with me. And, and I began the process, my stepfather was dead by that time, but my step-siblings were still alive, I began the process of writing letters of amends to them. I made them through a third party. I did not want to communicate with them directly. But this was extremely freeing because it wasn't like a blame. You know, like when I first came in, I didn't want to do steps four and five. I didn't want to do steps six and seven. I didn't want to do steps eight and nine because I was such a master at, you know, beating up on myself. And I thought, well, I don't want to do that anymore, so I'm not going to do these steps. But to be able to see myself... um, I, I, it was very, very freeing, and it only happened. And so after that became a process of making a lot of amends that I had um, hitherto thought I would never make to uh, employers, to colleagues at work, because after all, they were stupid, and they did need me to tell them how to run the place. And those people who were in charge should not have been in charge. I should have been in charge, and not only... Not only did I feel that way, I was very free in letting everybody know about it. And, you know, it did occur finally to me that I would not have necessarily wanted myself for a colleague. And um, so I think that it's just been that process over and over again. And that's allowed me to live in the world quite differently, um, which is with a little more open-mindedness and a little more tolerance. And... I want to say that my first reaction is not really necessarily, you know, it's not like, oh, isn't this nice? Like the other day someone parked pretty much, it was very, very difficult to get into my driveway. I mean, you know, they were virtually hanging into half of it. And I was ready to call the police. I was calling the school where they park because it's these parents and they park and who do they think they are just because they have little kindergartners. They block up the whole street and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, in about half an hour, this guy comes with his child and I was about to say, you look like an able-bodied man. Have you not heard of walking? And, um, and finally, I just said, it's so hard to find parking around here, isn't it? And I thought, who are you, Ella? And he said, oh, I'm so sorry, you know. I'm really sorry. And um, that was that. Um, Now, I don't know how I ended up saying that. I truly do not believe, you know, somebody was saying, well, you must have thought and you must be. No, 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 no. You know, this was not the voice of Ella. Um, But all I mean is that, it opens up another possibility. And that, I finally think, is, to me, what um, a spiritual awakening is. It's the awakening to another point of view. It's like, you know, I think you hear something, my eyes were opened. I saw things differently. And um, I know that's happened because of this program. And just over the years, it will occur to me to make amends to some people, you know, people... um, that um, 
you know, people that I hadn't thought about. And I just want to finally say just something rather simple because it says that we don't um, make amends to people so that we feel good at the expense of others. And I remember I had a sponsor who wouldn't let me make amends to an ex. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I have to make amends. And she said, no, 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 you don't do that. And I was calling everybody up and say, well, doesn't the steps say I should be making amends? And, you know, I finally began to look and I realized it because it was like I was hoping for some, you know, wonderful thing where I would say, you know, I make amends for everything I did. And he would say, and I for what I did. And you were really wonderful and I couldn't love you and all this stuff. And, and of course, you know, that would never have happened. Um, and and it was like, well, that wasn't what it was about. You know, whatever closure was in finishing, I had to do that on my own. So sometimes the best amends I can make for, to people is to leave them alone. Um, so anyway, um, I have only one minute left, and I want to say that I'm not by any means a perfect person, as many of you know, and that I do things and say things still that I wish I hadn't. But I have a program that helps me change that. And also, I don't turn to food in order to mask and um, kind of deflect my feelings about that behavior. And I'm um, just really, really grateful um, to be abstinent today and um, to be able to, you know, at least live my life um, a little more peacefully and harmoniously than I did before. So thank you. Thank you, Ella. I appreciate it. I will now start uh, some questions from the Ask It Basket. And I don't have any guidance here on the notes as to time. Um, We have about... 25 minutes left? 20 minutes? Until 10. We go till 10. So we have that much time left, 20 minutes left. So maybe keep it to like three minute or two or three minute answers. So there's a couple that are specific. So I'll start there and that'll give me a chance to look through the notes on the other. Um, so Catherine, there's one here for, for you. So if you could come on up, I'll read the question. And it says to Catherine, can you please talk more about the amends process with your daughter? How old was she? How did you approach making amends, living amends, and how you approached that? Thank you. I'm trying to think when I made amends to my daughter. So I'm been absent in 2001. Pretty probably... I, some of my amends I had made prior to that in my other, in my in and out of abstinence and recovery. But I think I went to her and we um, talked to her and just talked to her about the behaviors and, and introducing these people into her life and not thinking about her or thinking I was thinking in her best interest, but it wasn't. Um, that's, I think that's kind of how I did it. I just said, look, I'm really sorry for just the guys I brought into your life and 
and the effect it had on you. I didn't realize it at the time, and I, if I could do anything to change it, I would. And I'd said that a few times later in the in the few, later after that too, because suddenly other behavior. So I'd have new revelations about. Oh my gosh, I did this and I did that. And um, so that's kind of how it, it it came as an amends, and then it came as kind of more amends later on as I as I became aware of my behavior that I wasn't even aware of until. That's why I so believe in abstinence because I that it starts to be uncovered. I didn't even see it. So then it took me a while, and I and I'd make other amends just about um, food behavior ways I was with her around food and things like that. And, um, so that's how I did it. And then living amends is basically cause she has children. It's really trying to stay out, which is really hard. The, um, trying to not give unsolicited advice or, um, parenting advice without it. Or I do it kind of passive aggressively. Like I think the kids should have swim lessons. And if she's not I'll pay for swim lessons. You know, I'd love to, because I'll see, I saw a video of my grandson swimming the other day, and I can, he still doesn't know how to, like, do it. And I'm like, I want a water safe. And I'm thinking, my gosh, you know, I made sure you had swim lessons and all this. So my way of doing it would be to say, hey, I'd love to help pay for swim lessons. But this time I didn't say anything. And then she brought it to my attention. She said, well, I should probably. And I said, oh, I'd love to help pay for swim lessons. So it's it's ways, that's how I'm making amends now. And um, just changing my behavior, listening and trying to be judicious about um m- how I am around the children, her, the, my grandchildren, and about her. I hope that helps a little. Thank you. David, here's one specific for you. How do you discern the emotions you're comfortable with, and how do you eradicate them? If you could come up here. I'll let you read that. That's a tough one. Um, Emotions you're comfortable with. Uh, first of all, I'm not comfortable with any emotions still. Uh, no wonder I hate, you know, growing up. Who wants to feel? I hate, I hate, hate, even today, after all these years in program. So, um, and that's where food sort of made everything even. You know, it took away the joy and it took away the lows. And... Um, And so, but in programs taught me that I just do have to sit with the feelings. And and so I'm still, you know, and and I see, and I can put it on society, but now all of a sudden with smartphones, you know, when there's downtime or you're feeling all of a sudden you're playing a game or checking emails because you just don't want to, I mean, there's so many things that I'm still seeing that I can do to not feel things. Um, but I come to a meeting and all of a sudden I feel, you know, or, or I call my sponsor and talk about what's going on and, um, and I have to sit with them. You know, when grief, that's one of the hardest things. I hate grief. I get physically sick. I mean, because of 
the feelings are so uh, strong, and I have to sit with them, and I especially, and I'm grateful because when I really have strong feelings, I don't have an appetite at those times. It's when they pass, you know, that I do. Um, but I'm grateful the program, I don't have to eat over them, so eventually I go through all these all the things that I'm not comfortable, but that's the only way I know is to, to somehow feel feel them and go on. And, and I think the speaker last night was talking about it. You know, you go through in program up and day. You can feel the highs and the lows. It, it's not always highs, but you get through it. And my life is so joyous today, and and it's because I've gone through the griefs and the some of the really horrible horrible, horrible things that I've gone through in my life, but my life is very, I see my life is very blessed, and I have so much to be grateful for, and if I didn't go through those times, I wouldn't be where I'm at today um, at all. They've made me who I am, who my family is, and so I've accepted them. You know, a lot, like the grief about my parents and a lot of other family members who've passed away, I can focus on what I have today. I have a wife, I have children, I have a brother, nephew, niece, I have really close cousins, and I can focus and appreciate them because I've gone through the grief of the people who aren't around and what isn't fair. And I can feel that I don't think it's what's life is not fair, and then just know I'm incredibly blessed today, and that today, this is the reality today. This is who I have in my family today. And, um, and there's so much joy in my life because of it. So thank you. There's two questions on a similar topic, so I'll kind of combine them. And if anyone um, would please come and address it, or more than one. What, I'll read each question out. What about amends to a person has it, who has abused you as a child? Do we owe amends for resenting abusers? And the other question how do you make amends to... Oh, well, it is a little bit different. No, it is. It's same. How do you make amends to someone who abused you sexually and physically? My part was I did not stop it until I was 24, and since then we have been totally estranged. So along that topic, would someone please step up and, and share? So I'm Catherine Kapolsvider Blimic. Um, I didn't have ongoing abuse, but I was, um, as a teenager, I was raped. And um, I didn't really need, and there was a friend of mine, it was one of those things where we agreed to stay together. And so kind of keep an eye on each other and protect each other. And, and she kind of violated that. And it, because of my low self-esteem and inability to have a voice, I put myself in the situation and um, it turned out that's what happened. And so I haven't, so when I think about her, I, um, and then later on I, we connected again, but then I haven't seen her since I was a teenager. I, I don't know that I owe her an amends. And I certainly don't owe that person who did that to me an amends. Um, 
but I, the forgiveness had, I had to have some forgiveness. Otherwise it was just going to hurt me. And, um, the, the forgiveness is not accepting the behavior at all. It was more, um, kind of like letting go of, to forgive, they say something about is to forgive is something about doing it before. So I, in other words, I had to, I had to somehow just like go, okay, I don't, I, I can't, I don't have to condone that at all. It doesn't mean it was okay. It's just, I, I can say, I'm not going to carry it anymore. I'm going to be a survivor rather than a victim. And the other one was making amends to myself for putting my, you know, I thought it was my fault because I, put it myself in that situation um, and making amends to the fact that I did the best I could with what I had at the time and what I knew and to kind of forgive myself. I don't know if that helps at all, but I definitely didn't have to make amends to them. It was more of taking a resentment and turning it into a forgiveness so that I could be in the sunlight of the spirit and know most likely they had issues in there, whatever. They had their stuff going on. I had tried to think of that, too. Thank you. How do you really know you need to make amends? What's a living amends? Is it enough? Um, well, I think, you know, for me, it was like looking again, um, would I want to be on the receiving end of this behavior? And if the answer was, no, I would not, then there was an amends that needed to be made. And, you know, for me, I think a lot of us, we say, you know, because they talk about going to people directly and sort of saying, this is what I did. And I, you know, regret it and stuff like that. And, um, as far as I know, a living amends is changing my behavior in the present if I have an ongoing relationship with that person and also not doing that behavior as much as possible to other people. Now, be, you can, I can say that, but my understanding of my life is that you know, every, no day will go by in which I do not, you know, my foot does not go into some doo-doo. And um, I, I just have to live with that. And then at least now I have a 10th step. I can immediately do something. And, um, you know, in terms, sometimes people say, well, you know, I, I, you know, I'm in this ongoing relationship and I've been abusive. And, um, you know, well, the only way I can really change that is to change my behavior toward that person. And, in fact, it will come up again. I mean, to me, the expectation, you know, what does it say in um, step six and seven? You know, we're not going to be washed white as snow. And we have to, we are going to go back to our old behaviors. You know, our character defects, we're going to repeat them. Nasty feelings and thoughts are going to come up. Uh, the, The thing is that maybe I won't do it as long and as often and to such extent. But if I expect myself to never do that again, I'm just setting myself up for um, big disappointment. You know, like if I never expect to have a food craving again, 
um, hey, it's not been my experience. So um, I think in, in most ways, like, for instance, um, the best way I could make amends for <clears throat> being dishonest and stealing in the past is not to steal in the future. That is not even to take a pen um, that doesn't belong to me. And, you know, I don't know. The other day I was at the supermarket, I'll just tell you, and someone had left a really nice shopping bag in a cart. And I thought, well, they left it. And then I thought, oh, God, you know, I can't take that bag. It doesn't belong to me. I mean, it just has to sit there. Maybe someone else gets to steal it, but whatever. So um, that to me, and they always seem small, but I think that's for me where the changes come. And in those moments when I just say, I don't have to do that behavior anymore. Or when I see it coming up and the tendency toward it, let me step back from it. So, And thank you for folks filling in some questions. That's really great. I'm about to make amend, um, excuse me, I'm about to make formal amends to my husband, but strongly suspect I will still fall into my old character defects around him and still sometimes behave badly. Any suggestions? Um, what I've learned, what I've learned, and, and I, sh- I think I shared about it, but if I thought if I can't be perfect, why do anything? Mm-hmm. And always taught me just do and not be perfect. And it's the same with if I can't, and sometimes today, this day, if I can't live a perfect life, if I can't make amends and never screw up again, then why do it until I'm perfect? And, and I've learned I'm going to. I'm human. I'm going. I'm never going to be perfect. I'm going to keep getting better. And um, I know with my wife and my kids, you know, I've had to make amends and say I'm sorry when things. And and then I'm going to do. There's go. It's going to come up again, but maybe it'll be something different. You know, um, or, or maybe the next time I do that behavior, it won't be as bad. Uh, you know, but I can't. I can't. Progress, not perfection, is right in the big book, and it's a big part of my program. Um, and and to accept myself as human, and that I'm going to make mistakes, and that I'm not I'm not God. That's that's how I know I'm not a you know there is a higher power. I'm not it, and and I'm going to um, and and that's okay. So uh, th- that's my uh, my experience on that. I stole money from a former employer. I suspect they will feel quite shocked, upset, and betrayed when I tell them. Does that count for the part where you would say, except when to do so would injure them?
I'm not quite sure um, how I qualify to say this. It says that I, I expect, I suspect they will feel quite shocked, upset, and betrayed when I tell them. Um, it doesn't seem that that is harming them. Um, it seems that the, the shock and the betrayal and the upset will be at the person who's making the amends and that um, perhaps we don't want to experience that feeling of theirs. I mean, I made amends to a friend and um, she was really angry um, and was not a pleasant at all. And um, she wanted me to be a lot more specific um, because, I mean, it's not like she didn't know what I'd done. And um, and I realized, you know, I don't get to shield myself from that. I think, to me, what it meant was that when there were women who didn't know I'd slept with their husbands, those were not people I made amends to. Um, the ones who knew, I did. Um, and, you know, I changed my behavior by not sleeping with anybody who's married. So I say I haven't slept with anybody in a long time. No, I, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but I just, um, you know, I made a vow. This is over. You know, this behavior will cease and desist from now on. And, you know, that was a good thing. Like, my stealing will cease and desist. But it seems like um, this is a very concrete amends uh, that the money can be paid back. Um, I don't know, you know, um, it seems like maybe in this case, I, whoever wrote the question needs needs to reflect on this more and think about, you know, what's what's in the way of making the amends and um, let it be something that feels right to you when you make it. Um, anyway, that's that's all I can imagine. We have time for one more, and I had. One more. Any advice for stagnation in step eight? Mm-hmm. I'm Catherine. Um, I would, I like that phrase, just do it. It's a process. Um, and like I said before, it helped me to separate step eight from step nine. Just it doesn't mean I'm. I don't need to worry about what amends I'm going to make or how I'm going to make them. I just write them on paper. Talk to your sponsor. There's some that it's going to take a while. My sponsor, she told me she had one for 23 years before she could make the amends, and that person was in her life all the time. And this was a sponsor. I was like, whoa, you know, she was way up there. I put her. And, but, she, but that's what it was for her. So I, I would just say what I've learned about this program is I, I have to trust the, trust the process. And I am able to do that because, again, it's, I take this very – it's life or death for me. Um, I take this extremely seriously. And this is the only way I know to stay – in recovery and not abuse myself with food, which will lead to my death. And I'm absolutely know that. Thank you. 
It is now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service for this session. Awesome. All right, we're going to stand and join hands and close with, how about the third step prayer? And, and it's in the, uh, if you don't know it, it's in your um, schedule, and I'll be right down. Coming back.